Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Annalise. And I'm Sam. You are listening to the Clerks and Ignite podcast coming to you from Zoom. As always, our mission is to shape this podcast to the Ignite slogan, which is Think, Make, Ignite. We hope to connect individuals across Clarkson's diverse community and give interesting and unique content. Our hope is that you walk away from our episodes learning something new and valuable. For this week's episode, we spoke with Joe Ferraro. Joe is a Clarkson alumni from the class of 77, where he majored in mechanical and industrial engineering. This week, we spoke with him about Elna Magnetics, which is a company that he is the president of. It was great to have Joe on. And I know I definitely learned a lot, and as I hope you did. All right, so to start, we're just going to have you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, introduce yourself, and let us know what you're doing. Okay, so I'm Joe Ferraro. Um, I'm a Clarkson grad. Um, I graduated a long time ago when it was known as Clarkson College of Technology. Uh, There was only a couple of thousand students on campus in those days. Uh, My degree is in mechanical and industrial engineering. Uh, I went into engineering because uh, math and science has always been my thing. Um, So, and now I um, am one of the owners. I'm the majority stockholder of Alma, and I am the president of the company. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that you went to Clarkson way back when it was known as something completely different, I guess that's... Oh, yeah. I, I graduated from Clarkson in 1977. Okay. A long time ago. <laughs> have you been back since? I have. I've been back a few times. Yeah, it's, it's probably changed I, a lot. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but the last time I was there, I got lost on campus because there's so many new buildings. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Um, so, when I went to so, Clarkson, the, I don't know what's going on in the downtown campus these days, but when I went to Clarkson, um, your first two years, classes were up on the hill, as we called it. Maybe you still call it the hill. Um, I lived in Cubley my first two years, and I lived in Dorm 6 or Van Note my second two years. But all the mechanical engineering classes were downtown in Old Main. Okay. Gotcha. So it was always fun walking between the two campuses when it was 30 below zero. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Imagine. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit more about what Elna Magnetics is, um, how it got started, and a little bit more about your role within the company? Sure. So Elna got started way back in 1955. Um, In those days here in Saugerties, where we're located, it was a large corporation by the name of Cube. Uh, which was part of Phillips Corporation, that manufactured um, ferrite cores. And there was a gentleman there um, that was an employee that they uh, had him make custom products as a prototype because it was cheaper for them to pay him to do it kind of in his garage than to uh, do it themselves. Um, His name was Elwood Schreeder which is the E-L in the name Elna, and uh, the N-A is his wife, Nancy, for a piece of trivia awesome. on how we got our name. Oh. Um, he eventually left Ferox Cube and started his own business uh, doing custom machining on ferrite cores. Started a little one-room schoolhouse in Woodstock, New York, just a few miles from here. Um, oh. 
it grew from that into um, becoming Ferox Cube's first authorized distributor in the NAFTA market. And then it's grown um, to where we are today, really, on fast forwarding 60 some years. Um, today, we are a distributor of standard magnetic products um, for 11 different companies. And a big piece of our business as a manufacturer is a lot of applications that use uh, ferrite cores cannot use a standard catalog item. And then we manufacture uh, that to a customer specification or we help the customer to design exactly what they need. So I'm, uh, I think in June, I'll be here uh, 21 years. I started okay, so you've out, done a lot. <laughs> what's that? You've been able to do a lot over the 21 years. Yeah, so uh, I started out 21 years ago uh, as the sales and marketing manager, then became general manager. And then in 2005, um, my partner at the time and I bought the company from the previous owner. Okay. And uh, that was still all back in Woodstock. And then in order to grow and expand, we... Um, we broke ground on a brand new facility, uh, I think just 12, 14 miles away from Woodstock and Saugerties, where we are now. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've grown quite a bit since then. We moved here with 38 people and we have 66 now with locations on bo in both New York and California. Awesome. So my role here at Alma, Annalise, you asked me a little bit about my role. So uh, even though we have 60 some people, we're still a relatively small company. And um, so I wear the title of president and I have corporate responsibility for that. Um, and I, I'd like to think I do my job as the president of the company and do what needs to get done to uh, define policy and set the structure and create the atmosphere to make sure that there are 60 some people that are looking forward to coming to work here every day. Um, but, you know, I have a degree in engineering. I've worked in engineering. I've worked in manufacturing my entire life. Uh, even growing up in it, my parents used to manufacture women's clothing. So it kind of was in my blood since I was a little kid. And so my hands are always in the machinery here at Alma and machine design and um, new projects to uh, create more efficient ways of doing things. And, and that's the fun part of my job. Yeah. Sitting in my office as president is, is an obligation. The fun part of my job is kind of making things happen and seeing things improve. And I also it goes back down to your roots as well. Pardon, Sam, I didn't hear you. It goes back to your roots as well. If you say you, you know, you're always had a, you know, um, a history with manufacturing, you know, why would you want to, stray away from that so yeah exactly it, it's enjoyable it's it's very very enjoyable and uh you know i don't think maybe i wouldn't enjoy it maybe uh maybe i wouldn't have as much of an opportunity to get involved in it if my background educational background was in engineering but because mm -hmm. it's but because it's so much fun um you know it's the kind of thing i enjoy so you're right i tend to go back to my roots yeah so um, I know you spoke about uh, ferrite cores, um, and for those of us that don't know about it, for any of the listeners, uh, can you talk about what that is and how it helps with electronics? Sure. So um, 
you know, generically it's known as a magnetic core. Um, people find that confusing because they think it's related to a magnet. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, all the, there's two types of ferrite. There's hard ferrite and soft ferrites, which has nothing to do with the feel of it or the hardness of it. It's just terminology. <clears throat> Excuse me. A hard ferrite, you can magnetize and it will hold the magnetic charge. In fact, you can, there, there are um, ferrite magnets. Everything we do is done with a uh, soft ferrite, which is attracted to a magnet, but it will not hold the magnetic charge. Okay. Um, basically, what happens is that, as I'm sure you know, whenever, whenever you apply a current to a conductor, uh, a magnetic field is created mm-hmm. around that conductor. Um, a ferrite core... Uh, helps you control the properties of that magnetic field so that you can create certain things such as transformers and power power supplies because it allows you to control the output based on a given input. So you take a simple transformer. If you took a piece of copper wire and you uh, coiled it into a donut, it's the simplest transformer because your output is different than your input. So if you took a, if you took an iron rod and put it through the hole of that donut, um, you've changed the output because you've affected the magnetic, the, the properties of that mag- magnetic field surrounding that coil of wire. So ferrite is a compound of manganese, zinc, and iron oxide. And so the iron is um, that iron rod that I referred to in the, in the hole of the donut. And um, so then you can do all types of things with ferrite, which is where our business comes in because we're manufacturing custom uh, shapes and sizes for various applications, for power supplies, inverters, uh, power conversion, um, all, all types of products. Awesome. So, yeah, so going off of that, um, which industries do you guys typically go with? So there's um, the simplest, I'll say, are commercial and industrial applications where people are using ferrite cores just to make a transformer. And it's mm-hmm. not, I, I, not not the right words. It's not just a transformer. But, um, um, you know, if you look in your cell phone, if you look inside your computer, it's loaded with ferrite cores um, because you're you're controlling the power output uh, and you're controlling the distribution of that power. Um, some of the, the the more interesting applications are um, aerospace. So we supply product for aerospace applications, both commercial and uh, military. Uh, oh, okay. Commercial, uh, you know, in aerospace, it could be uh, simple uh, ferrite cores that are used in the um, the dashboard of the cockpit, if you will, in various uh, uh, instruments that are used to fly the plane and control the plane. Um, but um, we we're involved in a military program where we produce custom ferrite cores that are used in Navy fighter jets. Uh, to make them invisible to radar systems. 
Um, oh. We have a lot of, uh, so we do a lot of military applications, military radar systems. Uh, we do a lot of medical applications. Uh, wow, it seems like a lot for, for a smaller, quote-unquote, company. Yeah, so um, there's, we, we don't have a lot of competition because uh, machining ferrite is quite difficult. It's like machining a piece of glass. Um, so we're fortunate that there's not a lot of competition, but we do have some here in the States. And of course, we have some competition in Asia and in Europe. Um, okay. It's a specialized field. Um, and um, yeah, so we also get involved in autonomous vehicles, uh, the LIDAR system that controls the movement of the vehicle uses mm -hmm. ferrite cores uh, in the form of a rotary transformer. Um, charging systems for electric vehicles, uh, wireless charging systems, for instance, um, you know, the day will come where you can, uh, the charging system will be embedded into the concrete floor of your garage. And when you park your car in your garage at night, it will charge wirelessly, which uses the same technology as um, you have an electric toothbrush that sits in a holder and it charges. That's magnetic coupling. There's ferrite in the toothbrush handle and in the base uh, that's creating that charging system. Um, and for um, alternative energy, as one more application I'll talk about, you always need an inverter because, of course, if you're, if you're creating power with the sun, let's say you have solar panels on your roof, you're creating DC power and to make that usable, you have to convert it to AC power, and that's done through an inverter, and that all has uh, specialized ferrite cores. Okay. Awesome. And I, I, so I, I know you mentioned that um, machining ferrite cores is difficult. So um, obviously, Clarkson Ignite, we do um, we deal a lot with innovation. So is there anything innovative that you uh, utilize into your um, designs when machining ferrite cores? Yeah, so ferrite is very hard and very brittle, and it's a granular structure. So when you're machining it, you're actually cutting through grains of material, and these are microscopic grains. So if you don't have a, a robust machining system, um, you'll end up not slicing through the grains, but you'll pull the grains out, creating chips and cracks. So um, it's a given in the industry. Um, you have to machine ferrite using diamond tooling. Uh, we use everything from standard machine shop surface grinders to four axis CNC machining centers. The innovation comes in that um, where you can go to a machine manufacturer and buy a piece of machinery to machine metal, whether it's aluminum or steel or tungsten carbide, um, tooling exists and machinery exists to machine those materials. You can't really buy machines that are made to machine ferrite. So we buy standard metal working machines and then the innovation comes in. For instance, we buy a so-called standard four axis CNC machine made by Haas in California, but um, we have to utilize what's called through spindle coolant um, because you have to remove the heat from the workpiece as you're machining it. And not only do we flood the workpiece, but we pour coolant through the directly through the spindle itself 
that's holding the tool and that entire coolant application system. Um, it's old hat for us, so to speak now, but our engineers here have designed and built those systems because you can't buy those systems on the open market. There's certain pieces of equipment that um, we've designed from the ground up, again, because you just can't buy it. So we have certain pieces of machining equipment that engineering here at Elna has designed and built um, in order to accomplish the end goal of satisfying the customer's requirements. Okay. So awesome. How, how have those um, instruments changed throughout the years? Because obviously Elna has been around for several years. So how have, you know, the machining um, practices developed? Well, I think, uh, I think the simple answer to that, Sam, is that, you know, when Elna was started, uh, um, uh, you know, in 1955, 60 some years ago, or even when I started 21 years ago, the technology and the, the electronics available to control machines uh, didn't exist like it exists today. Yeah, of course. Um, so truthfully, up until recently, up until last year, we had certain pieces of uh, automated slicing machines that used very old uh, PLC logic controllers. Uh, it got to the point the machines were still good. We couldn't buy replacement electronics anymore. So we had to upgrade all those machines. The upgrades allow us to um, come up with different processes that make us more efficient and allows us to be more competitive in the market. Um, again, as an example, we do, in the, just in the past year or two, we have moved many, many of our machining operations off of um, simple surface grinders onto CNC machines. And we've upgraded um, our, our internal technology. Um, we now use a piece of software called Mastercam um, that you can input the drawing of the part into Mastercam and it automatically programs the machine for you. Now again, that workspace Mastercam is designed around standard um, metal working tools. So we had to trick it as we'd like to say into understanding what our tools are because every one of our diamond tools is a custom made tool for us. Um, but Technology has allowed us, the continual advancement of technology has allowed us to continue to remain competitive and continue to come up with more innovative ways to um, machine product. Um, we have two projects right now going on because, you know, let me back up a second. We're, we're in the electronics industry and all of us have, as consumers, um, you know, find that we pay less and less for our electronics. Maybe an, uh, maybe an Apple iPhone is the exception, right? They seem to get more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. But, you know, our, we, um, we're, we're doing another round of computer upgrades in our company, and we're going to a paperless system in our manufacturing. Great. And we're now buying computers for about five or $600 each. A couple of years ago, we were paying $1,000 for that. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. We're one of those manufacturers that is supplying components to these technology manufacturers. So we have to become more efficient so we can 
be able to continually compete, our customer base is constantly looking for a lower price in an economy where costs constantly go up. Salaries, insurances, benefits, energy. Um, so the only way we do that is through uh, improved efficiency and, um, and, and new, newer equipment, newer technologies. And right now we are in the midst of, hopefully we're gonna see one soon and the other one just got started, where uh, robots are new to us. But we, we expect in the next few months to have a automatically fed robot that's going to take completed ferrite cores and automatically package them. Wow. Uh, and now we're working on another robot. We do a lot with adhesives. Um, and it's gotten to the point where one particular product we manufacture for a large OEM here in the United States requires an adhesive application. And we have to eliminate the labor in order to continue to be competitive. And we're working on a robotic system to make that happen. Wow, that's awesome. So during our research, we noticed that you're involved with a lot of educational programs. Can you tell us a little bit more about these programs and your involvement in them? Sure. So again, part of my job is to create the environment and the policy. And I'm a huge believer in education. I think it's very, very important. It's uh, not only do I know Sam a little bit, but and I agreed to do this when he asked me, but I'll do anything to help people in education. And um, one of the things that I felt when I was 18 and decided to go to Clarkson, and I think it's gotten worse, if you will, is 18 is a difficult time to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. But our system forces us to do that. So uh, anything we can do to help high school students uh, have exposure to industry, have exposure to a possible career path, and even help certain students, high school students, decide if college is right for them or a, a technical program, a trade is right for them, or they just want to get out of high school and go to work. Um, we need all of those types of people um, to, to make any economy thrive. So um, the Hudson Valley P-TECH program, I think the first P-TECH school in the country started in Brooklyn a few years back. We're fortunate enough now to have one locally. Um, my son, who's part of the business here at Elna, he sits on the advisory board of P-TECH. So we've gotten very involved in that. And that's, um, uh, it's a separate high school. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but it's a totally separate high school. So rather than go to Sarbanes High School or Kingston High School, a couple of our local high schools, you report to the P-TECH school every day. Um, it's a, I think it's a six-year commitment. And at the end of six years, you have your high school diploma and a two-year degree from our local community college. And one of the goals of the instructors and the advisory board is to expose these students to as much industry as possible. So we, we haven't done it during the pandemic, of course. We don't allow visitors. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll get back into it soon where we, um, we welcome a group of P-TECH students. 
Um, we give them a challenge, which is basically a project. They go off, do their research, and they come back and make a presentation. It's very, very impressive, uh, the, the work that they do. Uh, it's very good. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I even know from personal experience, obviously, I'm a graduate of Sargis High School. And I'm familiar with Elna. Um, but I remember when I was in high school, uh, I think it was my junior year, um, my tech class got had the opportunity to come and uh, tour your facilities, which for students, um, you know, <laughs> from this area, we don't have a whole lot of, um, you know, facilities on hand like like there is at um, at Elna. So uh, I know from personal experience that being able to see what you guys are doing there um, and seeing what engineering and science can really produce um, that was a you know a big motivator for myself and a lot of my classmates. So obviously, you know what you're doing at Elna and in the community is definitely um, working. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for that. Yeah. So and the P Tech um, is that just the Ulster County the the BOCES? Well, I think okay. I think it operates under the umbrella of BOCES. But I believe that it's a totally separate high school. I know it has its own principal. It has its okay. own faculty. Uh, and they now, the local one has actually moved out of Kingston High School, and they have their own facility now. Oh, awesome. So these P-TECH students are not at all involved with a uh, quote-unquote standard high school. Okay. Well, I guess that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's great. Um, yeah. So I wanted to go back um, to earlier when you spoke about competition. Um, and I know you said that there isn't a whole lot of you know competition, but there are some. So I was going to see, uh, how do you keep up with that competition uh, in the U.S. and overseas? Well, there's, there's a couple of ways of doing it. Uh, so I mentioned at the beginning when I introduced myself and Elna that we, we've grown from, you know, a small little machine shop to a distributor for 11 manufacturers. And now we have our large manu our own manufacturing of custom ferrite cores. Um, so neither, neither segment, our distribution segment, nor our machining manufacturing segment, I believe would exist on its own. They complement each other. Mm -hmm. And one of the main reasons they complement each other is in order to machine ferrite. So let me, if I can, let me back up for a second. So ferrite starts out, I've said it's a granular product. So it starts out with um, a manganese powder, a zinc powder, an iron oxide powder. Uh, it's mixed together in a particular formulation and it's pressed under very high pressure. Large parts are pressed under 300 tons of pressure into a shape, and then it's a sintered material, so it goes through a kiln, it's fired. We don't do any of that. We buy what's known as a fully sintered material. Um, so it's like uh, in a ceramics class, if you're gonna make a dish, you start out with the clay and you have greenware, and then you put it in a kiln and fire it, and it becomes a piece of ceramic. Same exact principles. Okay. So um, our 11 manufacturers that we're distributed, that we are a distributor for, most of those are ferrite. There are some other materials, um, but it allows us to offer our customer uh, many different 
types of ferrite. There's not just one ferrite. Each ferrite type is made for a particular application, whether it be a voltage requirement, a frequency requirement, a heat requirement. Um, and it allows us to have a lot of different ferrite types in our bag of tricks, if you will, that we can offer to our customers. Oh, so that's, okay. that's one thing. Plus, we have a continual uh, stock of the raw material for our manufacturing. Because without that material readily available, if you're just a machine shop, you have to go, if you're just manufacturing, and one of our competitors does just that. They, they do not distribute. So they have to come to someone like us and buy the raw material where we have it readily available. On the manufacturing side, the thing that keeps us competitive is really what we've talked about. We're constantly working on engineering projects to take labor and time out of the product so we can continually be um, competitive in this market. As I said earlier, um, in the electronics world, people are looking for lower cost products and you have to be able to provide that while you are uh, uh, faced with increasing costs of doing business. Um, and in fact, we're, we're actively interviewing for another person to join our engineering team um, because we were looking for new ideas, new innovation. Um, and I believe the only way to do that is to bring on new people, uh, new ideas, um, yeah, of course. I'm sure students like like those of you on this podcast today, you know, have a lot of different ideas and you've been exposed to different things that we haven't been. And so we constantly have to upgrade our team, if you will. Um, and at the same time, you know, if the team gets older and people want to retire, we have a guy retiring in a couple of weeks. We have to we have to bring in new people. Uh, and I believe that's a big piece of uh of uh, constantly uh, coming up with new and better ideas. Yeah, well, you're definitely aware of the Clarkson curriculum and, and, and what they try to teach their engineers. So um, I guess you always know where to look for <laughs> a quality engineer. <laughs> um, sure. So leading from that, I wanted to, um, to know if you could tell us a little bit about how Clarkson in, in specific has led you to where you are today. Um, well, a couple of things. So um, I still remember back in the day, I got accepted at three colleges um, and I chose Clarkson uh, for two very big reasons. Um, one, I felt comfortable with the program. I thought Clarkson, Clarkson always had a great reputation as a very good technical school, a great engineering school. And I felt I was going to get a good education. Um, and I remember going for my interview and wanting to see the campus, driving through the Adirondacks. And I always remember my mother in the car going, where are we going? Because it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I think that is you know, Sam, firsthand, you know, I, like you, have grown up in Saugerties. Yeah. And Potsdam, just as a small town and a small village that I felt I could relate to rather than a bigger city. Yeah, 100%. One of, the, uh, one, one of the colleges I got accepted to was RIT in Rochester, New York, 
great, great college. Uh, we've taken interns from RIT, great school, but I felt I would be more comfortable in a small town environment. Um, yeah. Never looked back. It worked for me. Um, and I felt I got a great education at Clarkson. I got a very good um, engineering education. My mechanical engineering classes were good. My math and science classes were good. Um, and um, so I felt that was a good base. And um, there's no doubt in my mind that got me my first job out of, out of Clarkson, which was with Carrier Air Conditioning in Syracuse, New York. Um, and I moved on from there. I, over time, I decided that it would be from a little prodding from a boss of mine years ago. I got my MBA from Marist College. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's relatively local here in Poughkeepsie, New York, about 45 minutes away from Saugerties. Um, and I felt that was, that's, that combination has always been fantastic for me. Um, it allowed us to purchase the company. Um, we, we bought this company on a, a very highly leveraged buyout. Uh, we had to have banks that believed in us. And there's no doubt in my mind, because they told us, the bank that ended up financing our purchase um, liked the fact that uh, my partner and I both were educated. We both had our master's degree. I had an engineering background. Um, and as I like to say, sometimes I was able to talk the talk and walk the walk. It's important. Um, yeah, of course. It, it, it is. It's very important. And it continues to serve me well today um, simply because, um, you know, yeah, it's fun, but I can talk to engineers in the company and outside the company. Uh, you know, again, the pandemic, we haven't traveled in over a year, but we do a fair amount of traveling. I'm in a plane a lot. I'm in a car a lot. We visit customers and um, customers want to know sometimes if you're talking to engineers they want to know that you're also an engineer and they will get more technical with you. Uh, so yeah. that helped a lot. And I have to be honest, my, my master's in business has helped me a lot. And I believe it's helped me do a better job of running the company. Yeah. I mean, I think having an engineering background um, can help you in all aspects of life. It's a, it's Absolutely. a way of thinking. So, um, so is there any final advice you'd like to share with Clarkson students that are interested in your field of work? Um, sure. Um, as, as all of you know, because you're at various stages of your career at Clarkson, uh, it's a great school. It's not an easy school. It's tough. So you've all worked very, very hard to get to where you're at today. Um, it's not going to get any easier. Um, <laughs> you're all going to graduate soon and you're going to go into some career path and, you know, you're going to do this, let's say, for 40 years or maybe hopefully if you're lucky, a little bit less. Um, the advice I would give you is that um, keep that in mind, uh, but at the same that it's tough. Uh, especially starting out as a new young engineer or any career path that you're going to take. But look at every single thing that presents you every day, that's presented to you every day 
as an opportunity to learn something and gain more experience. And if you go through life thinking that, you'll enjoy it more and you'll have a fulfilled career. I really believe that. Awesome. Yeah. That's some great well, that's advice. Very, all that's very familiar to me because I know I, you were the reason why I decided to go to Clarkson. Um, and I remember the one other thing that you told me, which has stuck with me ever since, and it was to uh, never miss a class. <laughs> <laughs> so I've lived to that, and I have not missed a class, and I've not fallen behind that many times. Um, obviously, like you said, Clarkson's a difficult um, school academically, but not missing class was um, definitely a, a big thing for me. So it's important. And, you know, and I'm sure, I mean, you're home now, right, Sam? You're all from home. You're all at home. You don't go, you're not on campus these days. Yes, I'm, I'm remote this semester. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, campus life is great. It's a lot of fun. I had a blast at Clarkson. I made a lot of good friends. A lot of my buddies were in my wedding. We still keep oh. in touch. Um, I, I met I met my wife at Clarkson. We're going to be married 40 years this August. So, oh, wow. She went to Canton for two years and then transferred to Clarkson, and that's where we met. So, unfortunately, some of you are missing the campus life. You can have a lot, a lot of fun, but um, you can't, you can't, you can't really fall behind. Um, my father always used to give me advice. He says, "To go good tomorrow, you have to suffer a little bit today." Mm-hmm. I was the geek in high school that had perfect attendance. Because I, I never, Me I too. never, I, <laughs> it, it's okay. It's okay. Um, it's good. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think uh, you guys, you guys are obviously on the right path. I'm a little prejudiced in that opinion because you're going to my alma mater, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you, 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 all of you are obviously going to do good or you wouldn't, do, you wouldn't be on this podcast today. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I think that's all we had, but um, I got a lot out of this uh, once again. So thank you to, for a lot for, you know, taking the time. You're very welcome. It's, it's my pleasure. I, uh, I consider it an honor that you, that you asked me to do it. Yeah. It was nice to meet you, Joe. Same here. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam. And I'm Annalise. We'll see you next time.